Yo, 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 episode nine, Patrick James here. Welcome to Raw and Relentless, wherever you're listening to this, Spotify, Apple, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe out there. That said, because we do these audio-only intros and I've talked about in previous episodes about putting some Easter eggs in here for you, I've got the first ever Easter egg and it is our first ever sponsor for the show. Yes, sir. So our first sponsor, because we're only on episode nine, is actually my other company, Hashtag Raw Dating Advice. Yes, I am a dating coach, and I am also a published author, and you can grab my book, 107 Proven Ways to Get the Girl, for free at howtogetthegirlnow.com. Obviously, this only applies to my single guys out there listening. So if you're a woman, sorry, but we will have some goodies, goodies coming out for you in the near future as well. That said, what do we talk about on this episode? In this episode, I have my man, Chris. He is on my team. He's actually the marketing manager for Raw Dating Advice. I hired him myself. And on this episode, we talk about what was his experience moving to Arizona. Man literally talked to me for his interview over the phone on a Sunday and drove here by Tuesday and started working for me two days later. He moved here from California on a whim. So we talk about his experience doing that, what motivated him to do that, and we also talk about how he got into the rave scene as soon as he got here, which is kind of really random and crazy, and how he started a company called Inlight Flow to start selling LED lights and different rave gear to all these people who go to the rave scene in Arizona or California or wherever ravers go. And so we also talk about some of our views on modern personal development, a lot of the things going on in media and the news right now and our viewpoints on that and kind of how the media tends to be overreacting to a lot of the current events going on around the world. And we also hit on, uh, this is a cool one, Elon Musk and his agenda to take over Mars. So sit back, relax, and enjoy yourself some R&R. I, I got love for the game. podcast is gaining momentum quick huh with the clips channel out yes sir that is a great point so for you guys watching this video right now we now have a raw and relentless clips channel for some of you guys who uh, don't necessarily have the time uh, to invest two hours into an episode right away. Um, we'll also have that clips channel that's gonna give you short clips and highlights from each episode. So the link to that is actually on this channel. We have it as one of our featured channels so you guys can go check it out. Um, but yeah, so go and subscribe to the clips channel. Definitely subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. I know a lot of the people, uh, and this is just across YouTube, it's not just this channel, but usually um, people who watch the videos, there's that usually it's about like 75 to 80% of those people aren't even subscribed. So if you're one of those people and you're not yet subscribed to this podcast, hit that subscribe button. Or if you're listening on audio with uh, Spotify, Apple, anywhere where you listen to podcasts, we are now also there. Make sure you hit that follow and leave us a review because it helps the podcast grow, get more exposure. So if you like what you hear, leave us a review. If you, if you, uh, even if you don't like what you hear, leave us a fucking review. Shit. That's true. Feedback yeah. is feedback. Feedback only helps everybody. Especially since we're in it for the long run, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, Chris, um, I know we've had a lot of things going on this week. I, Man, I heard something interesting the other day. Uh, I heard that the Mayan calendar actually ends next week or this coming week, like in a few days. Oh, so it wasn't 2012? That's what everybody's saying, but I've heard from a couple of people that they think it was a few years off, so like 2020, and then I heard like actual, I, I like read a couple of articles and stuff, it's actually supposed to end, like the whole calendar just cuts out 
at in like a week. But they were also saying this mm. in 2012. So how do you that's fucking what I'm know? Gonna say, that's what I'm saying. Like next week they're going to come out. Oh, no, 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 no. It actually comes out 2023. That's yeah. when it ends. Yeah. Well, when well, I brought this up with Kate the other day at lunch um, and she started thinking, well, it sounds like we're in the middle of the apocalypse. And this is interesting for Kate to say because Kate's not really religious. She's never really read the Bible or anything. And she brought up the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Have you ever heard of them? Yes. So... Yeah, what do you, what do you know about the four horsemen of the apocalypse? I know I don't know much, but I know like one of them is like war, death, and then the other two I can't name off the top of my head. So when Kate brought it up, we looked it up because it seems like we're we're we've got three of the four here right now. So, oh really? Yeah. Think about this. One of them is famine, so shortage of food. Another one is uh, look it up. Google it. Uh, another one is like battle and war. So think about like the whole Black Lives Matter movement, the whole riots and protests going on in society right now. The w- the other one is Jesus Christ riding in. And then what's the fourth one? The fourth one is. Oh, man, I, give me one sec. But what, were, what did you say the other three were? So. Yeah, just type in the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and I believe the other one is like a is like a plague of some sort. And so, if you think about the pandemic, like disease. Yeah, l- well, look it up, bro. Um, so yeah, man, that that was crazy because I was like, oh shit, Mayan calendar is supposed to come to an end. And uh, oh, by the way, check out Chris's glasses; he's right. got them h- hidden. My dog, my dog, he uh, designed them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're all taped up, so that's why I'm just having str- I'm struggling trying to read, but uh. So, it is war, pestilence, famine, and death. So, death, coronavirus, bro. Yeah. And especially with how things are going out here in Arizona. Yeah. And I think I heard Joe Rogan talking about on his podcast the other day that um, uh, there's actually a, a, snow, a sandstorm in Africa that's so big, it's actually coming over the seas and it's going to hit the U.S., Oh shit! I know there's there was fires here in uh, the U.S. as well, like mm. in here in Arizona as mm-hmm. well, like a really big fire. Yeah, well, I didn't me even and Kate, know about we, it. So the other a couple episodes ago, I mentioned um, Salt River tubing. If you ever come to Arizona, you got to go Salt River tubing because uh, it's just it's amazing, right? And while we were there, towards the end of the day, we saw all this smoke coming out up like a few miles away. And Kate oh. told me yesterday that. That's part of the fires that are here, and uh, it's still been running for like a week. It's been a w- over a week since we were at the at the lake, and they're actually starting to shut down parts of that river. Oh, because snap. of it, it's becoming too dangerous. Yeah, like the fire is getting close. It's only growing. And it's pretty damn, damn big. Yeah, I know they're working at it like fucking day and night. But that's crazy to think about the four horsemen. Yeah, but I, I feel like definitely there's a big shift occurring. Just, what do you mean? Like just in general in society as a whole it's been it's funny that it it lands on like the presidential you know election year um i got my own opinions on that but what are they i don't know i I definitely feel like a lot what's going on like coronavirus and stuff it is definitely real but definitely the politicians are kind of using this to to um not to narrate like the the agendas that they want to push you know yeah it's interesting because like it's it's like well known that news and obviously, well, maybe it's not well known. Maybe some people here are going to be like, what? But like news, they have that phrase, um, if it bleeds, it leads. So naturally, they, I mean, they were the original clickbaiters before YouTube. Anything that would get views, they got to put. And they found that 
negative angles, fear-based angles tends to get more clicks, more views. And so if it bleeds, it leads. If it's bad, let's let's lead with that as our top story of the day, <laughs> which is ironic because we're talking about the fucking apocalypse to open the podcast. Yeah. But um, yeah, man, it, it's interesting. I forgot how we got into the news. What, what were you saying? Oh, uh, how do they, they're just using yeah, what's going so, on. Yeah, oh, so it's easier to influence people. Um, when they are in an emotionally fear-based state, when you can get someone looking for solutions, looking for a different way, a way out, you know, uh, something to escape from, AKA all the things that the news is, um, talking about the fear-based stuff, the, if it bleeds, it leads stuff. Um, and like you said, to push their own agendas. So when someone, when you can get someone in that state of mind, it's easier to influence them to take the actions that you want. So like you said, it really is interesting that this is happening on a election year 2020. Yeah. Cause like you even go, I, I just go on like the YouTube and all like, I just like to scroll through like the, what news is they're showing. And it boils boils down to like either a cop doing something bad again, mm. uh, Donald Trump or the coronavirus. Mm. And it's like it, it seems like I don't know the impression I get is like a lot of it boils down to like blaming Donald Trump, you know? Well, that's that's like human nature, and I think yeah. most people don't realize this, but people love love to have a scapegoat. They love to have something or someone to blame. That way they can take the blame off themselves. And so when people aren't satisfied with their own life, rather than looking within, they look outward and they try to go, oh, it's your fault. Oh, it's your fault. And uh, and it, what's crazy, if you look at kind of the history of like human knowledge and stuff, when uh, – I forget what it what what it was, but it was a significant technological advancement. I think it had to do with um, when we figured out uh, like what causes people to get sick and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, before we had any of that science that was well known that people can hear about it and write, you can write about it and spread the word and spread the news and spread the knowledge. Um, before a lot of this. What happened? People were getting burned at the stake. You were getting called a witch. It's because if there was a famine in your city, if something went wrong, if certain amount of people were getting sick, people instantly go, what's causing this? What's causing this? And so back in the Mayan days, they would yeah. go, we need to sacrifice children <laughs> to the fucking sun god, right? And then in uh, modern kind of history, it was witch, witch, witch. You get burned at the stake. And then they found out, oh no, wait, famine actually gets caused because of these weather conditions and this lack of nutrition for the plant. And people get sick because of pathogens and, micro and microbes within their body and viruses all of a sudden you don't see people getting burned at the stake anymore. That's true. So you're saying like it kind of transitioned out from like that very violent, you know, burn at the stake to more like just blaming. Well, the point I'm trying to make here is that people always want to look for something to scapegoat the things that they're not happy with. And mm -hmm. so blaming Trump, naturally he's an easy person to blame because more for the first time in history, uh, well not probably not the first time in all of history, but for the first time in our lives, there's a controversial figure running the U.S. And it's such a controversial figure that people will literally just take a viewpoint that is the opposite of his because it's his viewpoint. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Because he's so polarizing. He's a reality TV star and he plays it up. He knows how to get views. He knows how to get attention. You can argue that might be why he has risen to power the way he has because he knows how to market himself. But at the end of the day, um, it, it's kind of a dangerous society where just because I don't like you as a person, I'm going to intentionally think the opposite of you and think uh, that anything that you think is not good, right? Just because I don't like you, right? And I think that's where politics gets dangerous. But mm. um, the moral of the story is I can see why people are, are wanting to blame Trump and wanting to blame any number of things, you know, 
But at the end of the day, like maybe this is just my own entrepreneurial brain, my own, I'm, I'm a little bit of a self starter, if you can't tell. Um, so, so for me, I only like to worry about things that I can control. And so for me, one of those things that really helped me to actually start living and start getting results in my life with its whether it's business, dating, whatever, is starting to take full responsibility as much as I possibly could rather than saying, it's your fault. Why do you do this to me? Why do you do this to me? I go, all right, what can I do to change this result, you know? Yeah, and that's honestly been like a pretty pretty prevalent topic for me personally because mm-hmm. I've been feeling like my anxiety kind of rising up again. Why? Because I feel like I've been focusing so much on the news and then a big part of it also has been like I just felt like I had no control of where my life was going mm. but recently i don't know i just got kind of like the juice back up to kind of go go back out and and really chase after the things um just chase after goals yeah. recreating what is it that i want you know yeah i feel like you know an extension of this part of the slippery slope is like if people want to start um pointing fingers and start scapegoating other things that are outside of them and i'm not saying that it's your fault that the coronavirus is going around I'm not saying that, but I am saying you should worry about what you can control because if you spend so much time worrying about what you can't control and you're spending so much time consuming news, you get the anxiety like that. But uh, I think part of the danger here is literally uh, think about what is in in it by nature, like what does it mean to be like scapegoating and pointing the finger? You're you're trying to take more of a passive role here. You're trying to say what what can uh, I blame rather than what can I do? You know what I'm mm. saying? And it's more of a passive process. Well, let's take this to the extension. And if 80% or most of the people out there are doing the same thing, here's the danger of that. Today, because of everything going on, society is trying to figure out how do we pay people? So because especially the ones that are out of work. Me and Kate went to Scottsdale yesterday. Half the restaurants, the ones that got looted, Sephora got looted, Apple Store, a lot of these stores that got looted weeks ago are still not in business today because the everything's just boxed off. You know, Urban Outfitters wasn't even open because people broke the front door. You know, same with Sephora inside the mall. And so a lot of these businesses, even if they weren't looted, are still being affected by new rules and regulations, face masks, social distancing, only a certain amount of people in, allowed inside at once, um, you name it. And uh, so the society, obviously, and you know this, uh, came or the government said, hey, we're going to start doing stimulus checks, right? Mm -hmm. And we're also going to change things like unemployment. Another example is like Kate, my girlfriend, has a normal job. She has a 401k. She has a retirement fund. And her job allowed her, because of what's going on, um, they were allowed to pull out whatever money they wanted from their 401k or the retirement fund. And so Kate ended up pulling it all out because I'm like, Kate, you have this opportunity. Most people don't get it. Just take it all, right? Because I'd rather have money now rather than money 60 years from now when you're not too old to use it. Yeah. So anyways, um, with that, her her uncle and a couple people in her family are out of work and they're collecting unemployment checks and they're making more money from unemployment than they were at their job. And now what's could happen from that people get comfortable doing nothing because they can and get by but let's think about the long-term societal effects on this what goes around comes around it seems easy now but what happens when things get back to normal society's kicking again coronavirus isn't something that people are worried about stores are opening up the government's going to try to get theirs back you know what i'm saying they're given now but they're going to try to get it back yeah and that's what that's exactly what i've been seeing like a lot of people they like my girlfriend she works she worked part-time as a server and she was basically getting paid full time for unemployment. So it's like it, 
you know, like in the in the current situation, it's like, why not get unemployment? Right. Mm -hmm. Do anything you can to get unemployment. But like you said, it's creating that comfort. And I feel like the, the long term effects is kind of where like ah, you, you got to take ownership. Right. I think that's where a really big part like ownership and just taking taking the fact that, look, like you got to see the long term effects. Like like yeah. you said, the government's going to want their money back, you know, yeah, in one way or another. Like there a couple weeks, a couple months ago, you you had sent me a link or a video about like, oh, because of the whole shutdown, you can actually get a grant from the government that's um, you don't have to pay back, right? And when I look at that, you can get the grant if you get approved for this economic injury disaster loan, is what they call it. After I looked into it, when you sent me that video, mm -hmm. and um, and I had the opportunity to accept the loan to to hopefully get a grant, but even me. I feel like I was trying to look at this with more perspective, right? It's different if I'm pulling out retirement fund money that I already made, that's already mine, but I can't access it. But when I'm getting a, a loan that may or may not be forgiven, all right, people see that and they go, oh, I'm going to get free money. Okay, it's free money. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs might, might debate like, all right, can I monetize that free money now? If you have a plan, why not get that free money? But if you're getting money just for the sake of getting money, hoping that you'll just never have to pay it back, that's being naive, right? And so, one, I ended up not taking the the economic injury disaster loan or the grant that came with it, the $10,000 grant, because I'm like, my business is online, so I'm not necessarily being affected like by this, and the only reason I would even take it in the first place is if I wanted to just cash in real quick. But like you said, the government's gonna eventually want theirs back. And so, um, just... To, for the sake of letting those loans go to the people who really fucking need it. And also the fact that I don't want to have to pay for it down the road. Um, I didn't. Right. But how just think about how many people are out there in society right now who see like, oh, loophole. Oh, opportunity. Oh, upfront cash. Oh, opportunity to not work and get more money. It's going to come around. And I think a lot of people are going to have a really big wake up call. And you think shit's in the fan now. There's a couple of ways that shit could get even worse. One is if that fucking Derek Chauvin or whatever who's was on uh, what's his face's neck, uh, F George Floyd, the oh, cop. Oh yeah. If he gets off, doesn't get convicted, shit will hit the fan. Dude. Also, if all this free money that people are getting, they start being expected to pay it back in a year or two from now, people will get real pissed. Yeah, and I mean it's like it's not too far from you know the truth. Yeah. Who knows? The government makes the rules, so yeah, they, they could just put. A, oh no, there was a loophole this whole time. Yeah, you know, you know what's funny? Um, Matthew Morgan, who's coming on the podcast this week, um, big uh, marijuana legal marijuana entrepreneur, made like a hundred million dollars in the legal marijuana industry. Um, so he's coming on the podcast next week, and he was talking about like running for government one day potentially. Mm. And I'm like, yo, this is something that I am looking forward to. I think Donald Trump really opened up the doors to where before you had to be, everything had to be um, politically correct and you had to go through what you think people wanted. And, and I think people in, especially in these days, this day and age, 2020, they got a little bit over the political correctness that society had to be. And here comes uh, Donald Trump, who's the least politically correct that you can possibly be, and instantly starts making noise, and instantly start people start voting for him, whether or not they like him, but simply because they could trust him more because he was he had no filters. He, he didn't care about political correctness. He cared about um, achieving the fucking goals that he had. The results. The results, right? And so I think that's why a lot of people vibed with him up front but he opened the door for anybody who's a little bit less politically correct. And even if they 
but if they're like less controversial, but also not as politically correct, they can still make waves. And so Matthew Morgan, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, I don't even know. It was just like an offhand comment he made about running for office. But I was like, yo, what crazy world do we live in to where we, we could legitimately see a someone who made millions of dollars in the legal marijuana industry, but potentially getting political, you know, rising yeah. in the ranks, you know? That's that's crazy that you mentioned that because it's like I feel like that's one good one of the good things that you could say came out of like this whole uh, out of Trump right like he opened up that door and I think it it creates he got attention to it and we get to see like oh you don't like something then go do something about it you mm -hmm. know and I think it's gonna it's gonna raise like this whole uh, new wave of politicians mm. and I think it's the possibility of changing for good you know what's crazy is the the last episode when um, uh, Clark was talking about consciousness and we were talking about aliens ufos conspiracies but he kept using words like consciousness um high vibrational behaviors and energy and thoughts yeah. right and when i think about consciousness and raising the consciousness of society um i think back to the the term woke like how woke are you <laughs> or whatever and i think ironically a lot of people have been asleep They've been in their fucking comfortable bubble. They, they're they comfortable with the way the world works. And then 2020 happens. And it's been one thing after another. It seems like we can't catch a break this year. Like, man, nobody could have predicted this shit, right? Um, the, it starts with the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. We got to give them credit for that. Because <laughs> that's the, really the best part. And we started nice. But then Kobe. And then Corona. And then police brutality. And then killer hornets and then ufos and then the fucking dust storm that's gonna cover the globe and then apparently yellowstone is showing signs that hey it could be blowing soon it could be really yo did you hear about the super no. volcano do you no. know about the super volcano no i is it where is it located uh yellowstone look it up you, you have the computer right there um i'm not quite sure exactly where yellowstone is i think it's western part of the u.s uh probably central or north I'm guessing on the West part of the U.S. Anyways, um, all this shit is happening. And I think what's really happening is it's giving society as a whole, not just the U.S., not just a few cities, but countries, parts of the world. We're facing adversity like we haven't in, in decades, yeah. right? And I think if we're talking about trying to raise the consciousness, make people more woke, make people more appreciative of each other, of the of the luxuries you have, of the resources that you have access to every day, I think this is going to actually be a positive effect out of 2020. A lot of people are going to come out of here with a lot more perspective than they had before, which I am truly grateful for. Yeah, no, I feel the same way because like I'm 21 and I haven't experienced anything like You're this. You're only 21? Yeah, I mean 22. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't experienced anything like this in my whole like life. Like this is, mm. you know, like it's just really shining a lot of perspective and a lot of light to where my downfalls are. Cuz it's I think now is more the time to to have that that self-leadership. Cuz if not, you're just going to fall comfort to comfort and we all know where that goes. Yeah. So, where is Yellowstone at? Yellowstone is one sec he doesn't have his glasses so he yeah. can't read the screen <laughs> so basically a super volcano is what yellow stone is so you think about that's uh, where like the hot springs is right uh-huh yeah oh okay. and like the geysers that shoot out yeah. of the ground right so that's a super volcano so that whole thing is basically the part of the volcano that is covered in just lava 
you know, but that's like the ground above the center of the volcano. And it's a super volcano, so it's the whole fucking Yellowstone Park is on top of it. So it's such a big volcano, it covers like a decent size of that state. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so there's there's been talk, there's a lot of documentaries. I saw one when I was like 12 and it scared the shit out of me. And it said basically when this uh, super volcano blows, this goes off about once every 200,000 years. Last time it went off, 200,000 years ago. And so it's due anytime. Right. But when it goes yeah. off, it's going to be such a cataclysmic event that instantly it's going to vaporize like the western half of the U.S. All right. Holy and then the, the ash, the fallout is going to kill a large percent of the uh, percentage of the kind of like Pompeii or Pompeii. Yeah. Pretty it, much that, that like similar. Imagine that covering like the whole western half of the U.S. Fuck. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. And apparently there's been some seismic activity that's like, yo, Yellowstone, what the fuck you doing, bro? What if the Mayans, that's what the Mayans were referring to. That's what I'm to. saying. That's why it's such a crazy thing that people are saying that the Mayan calendar is actually supposed to end this year. All this shit happening one right after the other. The fucking person we all love, Kobe Bryant. The world stopped for not just a day, but like a week after that. All right. And then uh, a month later, you know what? I don't want to put this energy out into the world, but when that happened, two things happened in my head. One, I'm so deep down the alien rabbit hole that instantly I was like, how are aliens connected to Kobe's death? Um, immediately, I can't overcame that because I was like, okay, maybe maybe uh, it's not. <laughs> aliens don't have to be at the blame for everything. Yeah. But the second thing that happened, I was like, yo, what if, what if it was like the world saying, we want to take out the good from this world before all the bad happens? Bro, it's kind of like the Bible. Uh, what, what is it in the Bible? Where like they... they Judgment Day, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's the apocalypse. That's in the book of Revelation. That's where the fucking uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse come from. Oh. It's all in the same story. So, yeah, you and I are elaborating on the same thing. But uh, specifically, the Bible talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they kind of come in and carry out the apocalypse that ends the world. The book of Revelation is the final book in the Bible. Mm, I heard that that book gets crazy. Have you read it? The Bible or the book of Revelation? The book of Revelations. I've read it. Um, but it's been over maybe 20 years. Um, like I, I, think I was saying on the last podcast that I went to a Christian school. I went to a Christian school up until like age 12, 11 mm -hmm. or 12. And so, yeah, we had, we would have to study the Bible for about an hour every single day. Um, like it was math, you know, like any other class we had religion class. And so I've definitely, I'm familiar with most of the stories in the Bible, but as far as specific details, I'm a little hazy, just like um, I told you on the last time you were here uh, that I, d I have a black belt in Hapkido, which is kind of a branch of Taekwondo. But I, I remember kind of the basics of like spacing and sparring. But as far as being like technically sound and fundamentally sound, it's been I mean, I'm 30 now and I haven't been in karate, like martial arts class since I was like 11. So, um, yeah, obviously I'm going to be rusty. But, yeah, I, I'm familiar with books of the bible and it is pretty crazy which is kind of why i'm like how see the bible itself is is insane in itself because so many people interpret it so literally because there's so many things that are left open for discussion you can either interpret it super literally or you can interpret it as like a metaphor and the book is riddled with metaphors and it's kind of like the inception of metaphors because these these stories that people take literally are also stories of jesus telling metaphors and similes and, and like a parables is what mm. they call them and so it's like a parable within a parable so you don't even know 
um, what to interpret and how you should interpret it. Because if you think about where a lot of these books and stories came from, like they've been, they were written thousands of years ago and, uh, and, and then it had to get translated into languages multiple, multiple times. So you think about like Clark was saying on the last podcast, the game of telephone, we can't even play without getting a message altered, right? Now you think about doing the same game of telephone, but also trying to translate languages at every step of the way. And then there was also these people, and this is all in like the Da Vinci code, right? They even kind of showed this a little bit, which is just a movie and a fictional book, but it's based on actual like research that this guy spent decades doing to write the book. And the whole book of the Bible in itself is crazy is because uh, a fucking congregation of people um, hundreds of years ago said, hey, let's let's decide what we put in the Bible, what we want to rewrite, reword, and what we want to leave out of the Bible, what books we won't even include that were supposed to be included in the Bible. So a Bible is really just like, it's like a cliff notes of what was actually there translated into a different language. And you think like, like I'll just get one email from a customer who's in a different country and I have trouble understanding what he's saying. Yeah. And the people run their lives on this fucking book. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, there's a lot of crazy shit. I don't, I kind of just I, went right. I wonder like if this is going to push the, the, like the, like Elon Musk's, you know, narrative a little bit more forward in the sense where like, are we going to start focusing a lot more of our efforts to go live out into space? Because let's say Yellowstone does happen, mm -hmm. right? Then people are going to be worried like, oh, where are we going to relocate? And, and all this kind of questions come up into play. So it's like, yeah. is, is that going to, well, there are, I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that society will move on at least advanced parts of it we're not going to start over from scratch because there's definitely underground facilities that go for miles and miles and miles that i know for a fact that the government has and they've got years and years and years worth of supplies and food mm -hmm. down there and also the ability to grow more food down there underground in these underground oh, so it's like a bunker it's a, definitely a bunker and they got a lot of these bunkers that go on for miles so um people will survive it's all about making sure you get there um but only if you're in the government and you have access to that. Or you know people. Or you know people who knows people. Or you're one of the survivalists who kind of plan for this shit. But super volcanoes, man. I, I get anxiety even thinking about it. Because it's one of those things that you can't predict. And you have no clue. And when it goes off, you're fucked. So you can't do anything about it. So it's almost like, well, why worry about it? <laughs> you know? But, man, I hope it doesn't go off. You ever watch the show Doomsday Preppers? Yeah. Well, imagine that. I wonder where they're at what they're thinking right now well they're all bunkered away somewhere probably oh, true <laughs> uh have you ever seen any good doomsday preppers on that show uh no i don't i don't think i have a lot of them have to do with like just going into the woods a lot of guns get a boat and just ride the river yeah i mean most of those fucking dudes i feel like i like i saw one guy they live in like a shitty house they're broke and they're spending all their money on ammunition Guns and gold because they're like, well, they're after the apocalypse, you got to be able to barter with people. So you got to keep these valuable things. But he's also spending all of his fucking money on it and living a low quality life because any money he does get, he doesn't save it. He doesn't invest it. He invested in ammunition. But I mean, you're, you're preparing for a hypothetical survival scenario that you don't know when it will come, if ever. And I guarantee there's a lot of people out there who have spent their whole lives prepping and then ended up dying without ever and actually having to use any of the shit that they... And uh, I, I would say most of the preppers, 
I've seen are a little bit irrational, illogical, because it's like, dude, are do you really think you're going to survive just with a few things of gold and a bunch of guns? What if, yeah, if a fucking apocalypse does happen, your house gets fucking raided. You think all those guns with you only is going to protect you from whoever's trying to raid your house if it's a group of people? Or if the fucking super volcano goes off, you think your guns are not going to just get vaporized instantly along with you? Yeah. So the, only, the best one that I saw was like a guy in, in Texas, and he was... Um, he had this whole bug out location that's a gated, just like acres and acres of land and it's gated and you go in there and even at his house, um, he has a natural water well that basically pumps water into this container. That's just like reinforced concrete. So nothing's basically going to bring down that water fucking container and it's going to be an endless supply of water for him. So that's probably the best thing I've seen as far as like water and survivalists. But man, for as far as survivalists goes and doomsday preppers, there's so much shit that you could be prepping for. And a lot of them, if you prep for one, it'll contradict the efforts of the other. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you also have to be like kind of aware of like which one you're kind of sticking with, you know, because if you're uh preparing for zombies is going to be way different than preparing for like a volcano (laughs) yeah well where we're at we might as well not even prep for the volcano because we're fucked regardless if it goes off um but i don't know man i I even told myself what's this is fucking crazy before i moved to arizona i said to myself why are you fucking going out to arizona that's where that's right in the fucking blast zone of the super volcano and here i am in arizona and here we are talking about the super volcano potentially going off soon so that was like a thought you had in <laughs> straight up. It's been a subconscious fear ever since I saw the documentary when I was like 12 on TV. I was like the history channel and it showed like just this fucking huge wall from the sky to the ground of like smoke and ash and lava just like going at like the speed, the speed of sound basically um, just traveling across the states, you know, and just like wiping it all out instantly. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, where would you even go? Like, where? What is like? What part of the U.S. is going to east? You got to go east, bro. Uh. So I think they even drew like a little blast zone radius uh, on on this documentary. And I think in Kansas, because I was on the very eastern part of Kansas, right where the chunk is taken out in the top corner, like that's where Kansas City is. And I think I was right outside of the fucking area. But then you got to think about all the fallout from the ash and how that's going to affect plant life, the earth itself. You know, it's it's the people who die early, who get vaporized instantly, they almost get it easy because they don't have to put up with the, all the fallout the after effects. But, um, you know, I'm an optimist, so I got to be in the fallout so I can survive long term, you know, because I'll find a way. Yeah, that's true. Whether it's killing a man with your own bare hands yeah. or planning. What's your biggest fear, even if it's not apocalypse related? Biggest fear? Uh, probably just... As small as compared to a volcano, but spiders. I fucking hate spiders. Really? Man. Yeah, I just can't do it. I don't know. I, it's like a phobia thing for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. What's the biggest spider you've ever seen? Uh, probably a tarantula. You where, saw a tarantula? Yeah. Where I live, uh, we live like in the valley in the desert, and there's like they're pretty common there. In California. In California, yeah. So, how that, big was it? Uh, I mean, not. I guess, like. Something like that. So this is like six inches wide. About yeah, Holy I just I, I just made sure not to get near it because fuck that. You ever <laughs> see those YouTube videos of people letting the tarantulas walk on their face and stuff? Yes, I can't. I you I can't cringe at that. I cringe at that. I even don't like the thought of tarantulas because it's a little spider that's like a kitten. 
because it's got hair. And then imagine like stepping on that thing, just the crunch and like the guts squirting out. <laughs> it's kind of like a cockroach. Like they're so small, but if you step on them right, like they just, you know, like they just crunch. And it's, I could just imagine a yeah. big ass tarantula. I said, have you ever seen that viral video on YouTube where it's like um, this huge spider that's like this big is on the wall and they're trying to come at it with a pot and then right when they get close to it, it jumps out and hits them. It's like a camel spider, right? Yeah. I think so. Yo, those things are crazy. Dude, aren't they in the Middle East? I think so. Yeah. Um, someone, I remember when I was in high school, uh, someone was talking about how uh, the they like went to Iraq for the war or whatever. And that was like a thing that you had to worry about was the camel spiders. Yeah. Imagine just waking up with a giant ass spider Ugh. on your, <laughs> <laughs> I hate spiders too, bro. I hate spiders. I hate heights and snakes. Can't do them. Yeah. I, 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 I hate heights as well, yeah. but at the same time, I get jealous of like seeing people parkour. Cause mm. that's always low key. Like something I've been wanting to do or just try out. You're really into that. Like, Almost like, I wouldn't call it extreme sports, but kind of, because you do the raves. Yeah, I just like a lot of, like, free flow as far as, like, the body. Like, I I've, I remember in middle school, I always thought, I always had this picture, because I was always, I wanted to be a dancer. Mm. And I always had this picture that going into high school, everyone just walked around with a boom box, and they would just have dance battles <laughs> in the middle of, like, break. Yeah. And so... It's stuff like that is always Were you disappointed when you got to high school and it wasn't that. Oh, very. Everyone was just doing their own thing. Yeah. No type of dancers. How big was your high school? Uh, I don't know how many students because I didn't really pay attention, but it wasn't it wasn't all that big. Mm. It was. I forget how many. I don't know. I, I can't give you the exact Ballpark number. It. Probably around in your class in my class. Probably like a good. Three hundred. Damn, that's almost double the size of my school. My high school graduating class was um, 180. Mm. And as far as my class rank, I remember I found out when I graduated, I was right smack dab in the middle, so 90. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Actually, it was. I think it was closer to 500, if I remember correctly. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a pretty big school. Yeah. Oh, I guess because it's like the only high school in the area. Mm. So like all like the smaller towns in yeah. there, they have to go there. Would you say that when you were at your high school, that every day you would see people that you didn't know, like just new people that you'd never seen before? Or would you see the same people? I would see. That's where I'm just like, it's smaller to me because it's like, see the same people. Mm, got it. Yeah. I wonder at like what, at what phase It's always fascinated me, just like group dynamics at what, at what size of, of group. So like, I know with 180 people in my high school class and then all the classes around us similar in size. Um, it was one of those schools that was still small enough to where everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, but even at your school, you said 500 people in your class. Maybe. Yeah. So that's like way off. 2000 people in the whole school. So you're saying everybody still knew everybody. Yeah. I see. That's where I like, I don't know the numbers may be way off. Cause it was pretty small. Like everyone knew everyone, mm. you know, type of thing. So the numbers I could be, I could just be like, high or something <laughs> yeah yeah um you know what blew my mind about when you moved here because you mentioned high and i thought about the first week you get here and you basically came here and, and were filling a role from a guy who left right before you got here and um he was very opposite to you because the entire time he was here he didn't meet any other people 
didn't ever have even leave his apartment. He didn't even have mm-hmm. a car, right? The first day you're here, you already have a buddy who takes you to raves or you could go raving like, with and shit. Yeah, it's just like that that's one thing I'm kinda like I, I I just decided to go make friends. Yeah. And I was like, why not do it with the hobbies that I like? Yeah. And I actually recently went to a rave this weekend. Really? In the desert. How was it? It was it was very small. It was yeah. cool though. You could see like there was like no light pollution. So you could just see all the stars. I was expecting to see like an alien or something. Damn. <laughs> Where was this at? Um, it was like about an hour, like headed an hour on I-10 West. Mm. I, I don't know. You went I, by yourself? No, with my friend. Okay. With my friend and his girlfriend. Got it. So they glove and they, he told me about the event mm. and then I was like, fuck it. So you're go. a glover. Is yeah. that what they call it? Glove? Glover. Yeah. But he actually dances mm. and I'm, uh, he invited me out Tuesday night to go to like, cause he has a bunch of friends that dance and they're. One of his buddies is. In, have you ever heard World of Dance? It's an organization. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I've heard of the show World of Dance. I believe. I, I think it may be a, a show, show as well, but they have like an organization, and like um, there's just a bunch of like good dancers there, and I guess one of his buddies is is a part of one of those teams. Mm. So I don't know. I guess this gives me something to do. Learn actual actual dance. Yeah. So so is that like what you would think is like a hobby that you're trying to pursue is dancing or gloving? Is this an opportunity to glove? Tell me about the rave scene, because I'm not a huge raver myself. Yeah. So when it comes to flow art, like that's what they call like the whole thing. It's like um, with the LED lights, because there's different types of flow arts, like poi, um, gloving, orbiting. And it's just like, um, I, I guess it all flo- uh, it all goes under flow. And essentially, it's just a way to express yourself. And I, I found it like, that's why I love like connecting with people um, in that scene is because like everyone I've talked to is always so nice and like we all share like a common um, whether it's not necessarily for the music but it's for the art form mm. and that's something I really appreciate and that's some that's why I had the um, the name on my PayPal the LLC I created was in light flow because my my idea for that was to create like um, a kind of a hub a center for all the flow artists like whether you're a dancer whether you're a glover whether you know you you mm. come in there you meet you could video chat and like just brainstorm ideas on how to like boost each other's levels up you yeah. know so <clears throat> you're saying a lot of terms that i've never heard before so define for me flow glover and then dancer what kind of dancing are they doing are they doing break dancing uh well the dancing it includes all that like um it ranges from pop tutting um but these are like good dances, not just people going headbang. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then like shuffling as well. I just imagine like those old school video games like World of Warcraft, how you got the different races. You got like the elves <laughs> or the white people and the, the aliens or whatever the fuck. The, the different things in the like you show up to a rave, you got the glovers, you got the break dancers, you got the tutters, you got the flowers. Like describe, like paint the picture for me. What does this all mean? So like what, what exactly? Flow. What is flow? And you said poi? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. So that, well, it's just like two giant ass balls that you swing around and use your body to kind of control and manipulate. Wait, what? Okay. I. All right. So tell me more. So for poi, uh, just imagine you could put like a ball inside, you know, those long tube socks. Yeah. Just think of it like that with like a ball at the bottom. Uh-huh. And it's a light and up ball. Uh, yeah. Some are light up. And then with that, you could How just do you spell that P-O-Y? P-O-I. P-O-I. Yeah, okay. poi. And then, again, it all comes down to, like, where I really see, like, encapsulate the flow 
It's just expression through movement. That's kind of like how I, I mean, I don't know if that, is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really where, how I encapsulate like the whole thing is like, you could move different ways mm. and it's a different art form, but at the end of the day. So what do people do with the, so the tube sock with the ball in the end of it, they just swing it around like nunchucks? Yeah. They think of it like kind of like nunchucks and then like there's different tech technical moves where like they could like isolate them. So what, what that means is just like it's swinging and then it, it stalls at one point. So it looks like it's not moving. Mm. and then it comes back down and then you swing it kind of like that that reminds me of the the diablo the spiros bros from agt yeah that i would consider that flow really part of the flow yeah so anything that's kind of like led lights and movement that's kind of beautiful but also takes practice yeah like hula hoops that's flow as well okay so is this a commonly used term in the rave industry flow yeah that's like the industry standard I guess you would call Got it. Got it. And so Inlight Flow was your company that you created to for like you wanted to eventually sell merchandise for all these Yeah, people? I wanted to sell merchandise and then create an app for it to mm. where like um cuz right now the state of the industry the way I see it is like they're all kind of separated in the sense like if you're a glover, mm-hmm. you're a glover and you're only dedicate like to that Facebook group. Yeah. Um and even with the, like dancers and stuff, but there's no one place where like if you're interested in learning about the other arts there's no real one place to go to, you know? Mm. So that, that was kind of my idea of like bringing it all together. And mm. then through there, like I would ad- advertise myself like through making merch. Cause I, I would, I had some ideas that, that would like holographic shirts that look good on camera for when you have like giving the light shows. Cause that's mm. something I haven't seen before. So how does someone get into gloving and flow? Because for anybody watching this, um, if me and Chris are in the car and we play any music Instantly, you know, people sing along to songs. Chris doesn't sing along. He just starts doing this. Yeah, just with my fingers, just jamming out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So how do you get into that? And how do you congregate in a group about that? How does that happen? Uh, You get into it. I got exposed to it through, like, the events I went to, to the raves and stuff. Yeah. And, like, I got light shows and stuff. Um, So that's kind of how it is. But it wasn't actually till moving here to Arizona where I met other people with the same hobbies. Cause mm. back in my hometown, I had a group of friends that like all did different types of flow, but not, not the same, like gloving and stuff. Um, but to congregate people just like, uh, Oh, Hey, there's a meetup this week. Like I'll, we could do it at my place or at a park and we'll just grab lights. We could record shows and create social media content and stuff like that. Mm. And then just have a good time. Thanks. So you get a lot of creatives in there. And then do you guys all take mushrooms at the same time or what? Sup, dude, there's people that take, everything yeah <laughs> more than mushrooms yeah Do you ever partake in that um mushrooms I, i've mainly just stick to mushrooms or or acid honestly mm. that's that's like my cup of tea i don't do it often why acid uh because it's it's really weird when when like on acid it and same with mushrooms it, it kind of like opens up my brain for this type of art form to think about like different ways to move my hands and different direction it, it's really weird but i just feel a a more sense of flow mm. do you remember when brian and i were talking about like our experience on mushrooms yeah what's your experience on mushrooms what has that been like for you like so, the first time oh the first time yeah it i didn't take mushrooms the first time i had uh my experience with psychedelics was acid okay and it was on a way back from so acid is considered a psychedelic 
Yeah. I've never taken acid and I never plan to take acid for anybody watching or listening. But, uh, so what, so you start hallucinating, but I think you told me it was, um, it's man-made. It's completely man-made, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. From my knowledge, it's like man-made. Okay. So that's why I, I stick to shrooms now more. Okay. Um, but I remember the first time it was driving from, uh, where was it? San Bernardino. So like Los Angeles area mm. up north towards Sacramento. Um, so towards California or yeah. Towards Sacramento. And it like, I had recently just gone to an event out there and I got this tab of acid and I just popped it. And I remember the, fr- we were on the freeway and it was the craziest experience. Cause this, when it started to hit, like I had to take a piss. Mm. So, so it's all going to come back later, but like, the, the freeway started looking like space, like Star Wars, you know, kind of like the 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 Falcon ship just kind of just like all the cars and stuff turned into stars. And like I was just like, whoa, what is going on? <laughs> and then and then more halfway through, like the more we went, the more does I had it to kind of make you like slap happy the way like marijuana does the first time. You just, oh, the first few times. Yeah. Like I definitely had the like was laughing for no reason. OK. And I was just like. Dude, this is intense. It really felt like I was in a yeah. rocket ship. So when I took mushrooms, like I, I, I kind of explained how I was laughing hysterically, but I didn't actually find anything funny. It was just making me laugh and I couldn't stop laughing, which was actually freaking me out. So was it the same thing on acid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was it was similar to where like I was just like, I, you know, it was just for nothing. Like it could have been like I would just look and I would just start laughing at the mirror mm. or, or like that rear view mirror. And I was just like. There's no reason to be laughing, you know? Hopefully you weren't driving this car, were you? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. I was a passenger. You were a passenger, along for the ride. Along for, exactly. Okay, and then what happened? And then shit got started to get serious. As uh, I, I thought I had to pee, mm-hmm. and, like, I it, I don't know how it connected, but then I started relating the, the sensation of having to pee to, like, holding on to life, and that all I really had to do was just to let go and die. Like, it, it sounds really weird, but, like, I, once I, I didn't care or gave a shit, like I was like, if I piss my pants, I piss my pants. Then I felt like this sort of sense of euphoria. You're not so, cool unless you pee your pants. Exactly. That's yeah. a, and no. And it was weird because I felt this weird sense of euphoria. And like for, for me, I guess I, I translated that into death to where like everything just seemed to open up. Everything turned bright. I, I couldn't see anything. All I, all I could see was the light, like just bright light. And then I would come back and like sober in a little bit and realize like, oh, yeah, I'm in the car. But then it was just a cycle of that, just Mm kind of like cycle of life and death. And then by the end of the trip, I mean, I was just like, I I would say the the main takeaway from there was just like not to hold on to like any certain feeling of anxiety that I got from pissing, which is really weird. But so (laughs) you're probably the first person I've talked to that has actually taken acid at at raves i'm sure i've talked to a lot of people who've gone to raves and taken shit like that but mm-hmm. you're the first person i've actually talked to uh, in detail about it so i guess am I, i'm curious like is acid again i don't ever plan on taking acid i never even have i don't even have the desire to you're just curious i'm just curious is it one of those things that people take somewhat like mushrooms or ayahuasca to where they they try to get uh, a realization spiritual. out of it yeah like yeah spiritual no yeah 100 there's Honestly, I don't like tripping at events. I have before, like microdosed at events, but I, I just can't do the whole, the whole dose. Because for me, I, I do see like acid and mushrooms as more a psychedelic experience yeah. and a more spiritual. Um, 
So I, I have that that respect for the psychedelics in that regard. Mm. But there are people. Well, I have like in and I remember going to this. Um, I don't recommend doing this, but I remember I took acid and Molly. I've taken that like together. Is that like a deadly combo? Or are you not supposed to do that? Uh, it, it's very, from my experience, I wouldn't do it again. Mm. I, I just don't mess with um, ecstasy or Molly anymore like that. I've gotten over my phase, but yeah, um, but yeah it, it was just very intense and like a lot of energy built up. Like what I mean by that is like I was looking at this artist mm. and he was more of a grunge kind of like dubstep artist. So it was really weird just seeing there. All I saw like on the screen was just like a bunch of like skulls and trippy shit, dude. Uh, mm. I, I couldn't I had to stop looking at the artist and just look down because it, yeah. it was getting too much. Okay, so it sounds like you're the type of person who's done your fair share of recreational drugs in your day, huh? Yeah, I wouldn't say, like, I, I did a lot, but... What's been your craziest experience on any of them? And what was it? Um, so one that I could relate to was uh, similar to Brian's story, where yeah. I just took mushrooms in my room, and, like, I just had a pen and paper just to kind of more, it gets a spiritual approach, and, like, I was just asking myself all these questions and, like, the meaning of life and, and all this, and then... I, for some reason, I came to, like, the same conclusion as Brian. It's, like, at the end of the day, like, all that really matters is, like, the love and spreading that love to others, mm. which which was really weird when, uh, which was funny when I heard Brian talk about that as well. Yeah. You know, like, putting out that energy. That's interesting because I feel like a lot of people, it's crazy, when they take psychedelics, I'm specifically talking mushrooms or ayahuasca or DMT, a lot of them come to the same conclusion. We're all one. The answer is love. And I'm just like, yo, is there like a, a neural pathway in your brain that just gets triggered with psychedelics? Or are you really tapping into something, right? Because you would all, like, if it was just one person and you kind of, they say, oh yeah, the answer is love. Then you go, okay, that guy's kind of crazy or whatever. Yeah. He had a realization. But if it's everybody on the same drug comes to the same conclusion, where's that coming from? And me being someone who has never taken a psychedelic drug and had an experience like that and come to that conclusion, describe what you mean by that. Because I know what Brian kind of said, but even I was still a little confused the way he described it. Like, what makes you go, love is the answer? And what is love the answer to? And what does that even really mean? Yeah, no, for me, it was more or less like in a, in a phase where like I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. And I realized, like, it, it came down, when I say love, it's just, like, at the end of the day, like, changing someone else's life. So that that's, like, you're putting in so much effort in, into no matter what you do, whether it's business or whether it's even bagging groceries at, at a supermarket, you know? Mm. At the end of the day, it's something you, you, you're you of service. Kind of That's kind of what I mean when I say love. It's, like, being of service to others. Mm. That's, that's, well, at least that's what I got from it. It's, like, no matter what I do, it's, like, I have to be of service to others. And it, it's like, yeah. Mm. I don't know. Is that making sense? Kind of. So that's kind of like the result, the takeaway you got. But walk me through the epiphany story. You know, like mm. what like what did you experience in the moment? What did you see that made you go, oh, shit, it's love, you know? Yeah. So it was just me going through like what everyone else around me was kind of doing. Yeah. And like, well, for, you were by yourself. And you yeah, took but I, I mean, what I mean by that is like what my what my friends did for work and whatnot. And like uh, one of my friends, he runs a social media marketing agency mm. and, and all that. And for him, he's he takes psychedelics and like he's one that I normally talk to. But all that. But 
for me, it was just more or less just going through no matter what I want to do in life, no matter what everyone's doing in life, they're looking for something, an end result. And I asked myself, so what is that end result? And for me personally, it was that feeling of love that I get whenever I learn something new, whenever I push myself, when it, you know, like, so, so that's where I'm coming from. And that's kind of like when I realized like, oh shit, I'm chasing this feeling. Oh, so when you say love, you really mean like your passion for progress, for moving forward, for improvement. Yeah. It's like when you finally hit your goal, you get a little reward dopamine. Yeah. Kick. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. it's like, because yeah, you, at the end of the day, you have to do something to earn it. Right. So it's not something that you sit there, meditate and yeah. then you'll, you'll love. Yeah. No, it's, it's like that progress. So what was that? The, effort. Did you feel like you, your actions after this experience changed? What came from that realization for you? Honestly, I wouldn't say my actions changed a lot. It was more of like my way of thinking. Mm. Um, and I guess in a sense it was because like not too long after that, I started my podcast because I, I was just searching for answers. Of what was like, your podcast called? It was called The Heart of the Valley. Okay. And it was supposed to be like just interviewing like oh, yeah, you were telling the entrepreneurs, this. business people in my in my area. Yeah. Because I live near the Bay Area. So it's like you can be successful wherever you are. Like, it's just a matter of putting in the work. How many episodes did you get? Three. Damn, you only made it three. You didn't even make yeah. it to seven. Nah, yeah, because after that, what was really funny is, like, after one of those um, episodes, specifically with a local barbershop owner, owner, and we were just talking, like, more spiritual stuff. But after his episode, that's really, he said something that, that really stuck with me. And that was, like, at one point in his life, he didn't know what he like he wanted to do. He was confused and he was like one of those people that would tell people like, oh, you need to change this. You need to change this. And then there was a moment of self-reflection for him that was like, well, well, what do I actually mean by that? Like I need to be a leader in a sense to if I want to tell people how to live their lives, let me live mine first. Mm. And then ever since then, that really stuck with me because I was the same way. Like I was always like telling people like, oh, you could be this great business owner and all that but in reality it was kind of like coming from a place of ignorance because i wanted that for myself but i didn't know how to achieve it and so after that episode like it, it really just pushed me to like stop talking so much and just actually do something and, and take action towards what it is that yeah. i mean yeah i feel like honestly bro after talking to you more like just now i i'm, I'm coming to the realization that as a 21 year old kid you have more life experience than most people who are 41. You know what I'm saying? Like how many jobs have you done or even tried to do? Like as far as like a self-starter, you've been a drug dealer at certain times in your <laughs> life. You started in light flow LLC to sell rave gear for, for dancers and artists and shit. Um, you were, what, what are some of the other things you, you did? Dude, honestly, through that process you started like, a podcast started a podcast you became a high ticket closer high ticket closer you're a marketing manager now yeah <laughs> what and, else uh i picked up shit at a dog kennel place because i thought i wanted to be a dog i wanted to be the next dog whisperer yeah you know like i was a delivery driver um beginning of sales i did just phone sales uh door to door whatever i could to get i could door to door get. sales and i think this is what people when when people talk about your story um, even when I, I feel like I do a good job of it cause I'm aware of it. But when people talk about like their life experiences and what they've experienced, like you don't realize when you were 
a drug dealer, when you were a door-to-door salesman, when you were a phone sale, like these are phases of your life. It's not just a thing you tried once. It's a thing you went all in on for a certain period of time. And it's like, how many people actually go all in on something in their, in their entire lives? Most people just kind of drift. You're actually actively, like you said, trying to figure out what are you here for? Where do you really vibe and where's your strengths in this world? How can you be more of a service to others? And it's led you through all these different layers of your life to where now you're finally here. And you even said like, you could see yourself being here for years, which is a compliment for me, knowing that you're someone who's gone through a lot of trying different things just mm-hmm. to get here, right? Yeah, and, and that's where it kind of becomes a slippery slope though, where I feel like personally, cause mm-hmm. then it's like, oh, I'm here at the destination. I tend to get comfortable. And like we were talking about earlier, comfort, it feels good in the moment, but long term, what does that really get you? Yeah. And so that's really where I've been as of late, like just really asking myself, like, what what is my like drive? What do I want to do? You know, Um, do you know the answer to that yet? Honestly, I I came down to like coming back to um, the gloving and like the flow stuff. Like I have an Instagram page and I, I like. I just decided like there's actually people in the area that, you know, do the same thing. So it'd be cool to just create content and then I could just like have my affiliate there and kind of create a following on there, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. to something to do on the side. And then I get to practice the marketing that I'm learning here. Yeah. And as well as like, I have a better understanding of like, oh, okay, if this works here, what if, what, you know, how yeah. could I apply this to raw dating advice and your brand, mm. that type of thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because like it seems like even me, I've gone through a lot just to get here, but it seems like a lot of people who are trying different things, trying to figure out where their life purpose is, trying to figure out what what are they destined to do, what are they here for, you know, what is their mission in life. Um, a lot of it comes down to at a certain point, you realize that if you want to get any success anywhere, you got to become a better marketer, whether it's a better marketer of yourself or a better marketer mm-hmm. of your service or product. Either way, until you learn how to influence and how to how to deliver results for people, you, you're going to be stuck. And I think a lot of people don't even get go, take enough action because they're paralyzed with inaction or paralyzed with their comfort zone to where they don't even get to the point where they can um, uh, figure out that kind of stuff because they wait until their midlife crisis in their 40s or 50s to start questioning their direction, where they want to go, what do they want to do. Whereas people like you and me, we kind of broke away early. Like you didn't go to college. Did you graduate high school? I graduated high school, yes. Okay. You didn't go to college, but you became a self-learner and you try to learn all these different things yourself. I went to college and it didn't take until I got into dental school where I realized, do I really want to just follow this predictable path for the rest of my life? In that case, it's like you already know what's going to happen. You know how the story ends. Why? What's the point? And I think that's where guys like when I dropped out, I dropped out of dental school with no clue how to do any of this. I just knew I would rather be a dating coach than a dentist. But then there were people in my dental school class who respected the hell out of my, my decision. They came to me like we run into each other at a bar or a party or a nightclub and they'd be like, man, that's awesome. You know, one day I want to drop out or not. I want to I want to stop my uh, my dental practice and become a musician, but I got to work up to it. And I'm like, all right, one day. But when mm-hmm. Well, like you can talk all you want, but until you do it, it's not going to actually fulfill. And uh, the way that I like to think about it is like, why are you going to wait? until halfway through your life to actually start pursuing the dreams that you actually want. Like, and I think when you 
actually take that risk of breaking away from the mainstream. As Clark said in the last podcast, is like taking the red pill. When you take the red pill and you're willing to do that early and you're not willing to sacrifice half your life or two-thirds of your life just to eventually do that, then you actually start growing faster, right? For me, I studied personal development and I was into personal development, but until I got into game, which is kind of my entrance into personal development, but it wasn't until I dropped out of dental school to become a dating coach against the wishes of everybody and everybody made fun of me. You know, I started a YouTube channel that had no following and I had no clue what I was doing, how to monetize it, how to make a living as a dating coach. I mean, that was like fitting six months, six years of personal development into six months. You know, I, it was very accelerated because really quickly I had to develop thick skin. I had to control my environment like a dictator. I couldn't let negativity into me, into my, into my uh, headspace because it would fuck me up. I didn't have much of a support system. I didn't have much other than myself to manage myself. And, and so I got a thick epidermis really quickly, thick skin. I, I wasn't phased by small shit that most people are phased by really early. And people wait until their 40s or 50s to have a moment like that. And imagine how far I've grown even from there. And so I was grateful for that experience because I was able to get perspective early on. And I had a midlife crisis in, the, in my 20s. Um, and so, man, I think it's only up from here, but it's really inspiring to hear like your story too. And I think it's it's probably why people like you and I gravitate towards each other and end up start working with each other because most of the people in online marketing have similar experiences too, you know? Yeah, that's, that's what I realized. Like all like the great, or the people that are getting stuff done, it's like at the end of the day, they go out and some somewhere where I lacked and I completely agree with you is like you instead of studying self-development, go and go through it, experience it, because that's uh, to know something like to know, oh, my thought, whatever I think is going to dictate my results. That's cool. But until you actually go and apply it to some area of your life. Yeah, that's not when you, that's like until the real learning be. Comes, well, you know, I think uh, it also comes down to most people just don't have the desire to like when I, for example, before I got into dating, dating advice and like learning how to improve my own game and just get better at talking mm -hmm. to women. Um, I used to think of self-help as like, oh, that's like a thing. Oh, oh that guy's into self-help. Oh, that makes sense. You know, and, and so it was like. Oh, that person's into self-help. You saw it as something. I saw it as something that I was not into and I saw it as something like. Oh, that person's into playing basketball. Oh, this person's into playing Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Oh, this person's into self-help. Like I thought it was like a random weird thing that some people were into, but I didn't realize it's not just a thing that people are into. It's, it's just choosing to live a better life and improve yourself every day. And I think most people, especially small town Kansas people, you know, like I was, a lot of those people don't even have... It's like ignorance is bliss. They're ignorant to what is possible for them. They're also in the belief that they have to fit into this category that everybody's been telling them they have to fit into their whole life. And so for me, ignorance was bliss. I didn't even have the desire to change. And that's why I think Tony Robbins has a point when he says people only th change through inspiration or desperation or both. I was inspired when I moved to Arizona and I saw um, Jason Capital, a guy who I eventually became friends with and he kind of became a pseudo mentor to me. He was my age, making way more money than I would probably would have ever made as a dentist. All right. So that was inspiration, desperation. When I realized I don't want to, I don't want to just live a predictable life with no mystery and, um, and just talking about teeth all day, like fuck that shit, talking about teeth to make a living so I can live my life. But my life is dentistry. Like it just didn't ring with me. Right. So 
Now it was inspiration and desperation that I had to change. And when I changed, I got that thick skin, the thick epidermis. But like you said, go out and apply it. Most people don't even have the inspiration to do it. And I think where it comes from is you got to realize, hey, you actually have the potential to do whatever you want. Hey, that person who's an international celebrity, a New York Times bestselling author, a, a late night talk show host, those people started from the fucking bottom just like you. But they had the inspiration and the desperation to change and to improve and to make something of themselves. Whereas most people are just comfortable with comfort, comfortable with security. Someone, all the all the people I went to high school with. I look, I, I log into my old Facebook account, which I never log into. But every time I log into there and I scrolled through there, it's funny because I'll see people who I haven't talked to or heard about for 10 years. Because this is the, the, the Facebook page I created when I was in high school, mm-hmm. right? And these people are living in the same town, talking to the same people, looking at the same ceiling fans, not changing a thing. And you can tell that they are comfortable and happy doing that. Some of the people who were like all state athletes, you know, they go back and become a high school coach in the same town they went to school at. And it's like, yo, you're really just going to live the same life for your entire fucking life. What? What? So that's where I wonder, like, is that something that is people are born with? That one little thing gets them inspired and both desperate to change? Or are there people who get those same experiences, but they just, like, what makes someone respond in a way that goes, I need to improve. I need to get better. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, because it's like, I don't even know how to answer that. Because it's like. Do you know what it was for you? For me? Yeah. What was the it, moment where you realized, I don't want to go on the path of s- retire at 65, get a solid job, go to college, get married with the white picket the fence? Third, it, it was, ex- I remember this, the third year, my third year in college, it was when I got my transcript because uh, up to that point, I had been going to college, but I kept dropping classes, adding classes, dropping classes, adding classes. And I, look, I finally take a look at my transcript and I realized that the amount of units I've collected over the three years I was still technically a first year student. And that's really when it hit me. I was like, bro, if I even want to transfer out, I need to spend another two to three years here. And just, and I didn't even know what I wanted to do at that point. So I'm like, I don't know what it was exactly, but I I just knew I didn't want to be there. Mm. And that's really when I started to kind of just go out and, and, and look for other answers other than, other than school. And that's where, and I came across uh, the HTC. And then that led me to kind of going into sales and then all the way through here, all the yeah. way to here. And now you're somehow in a different state working from some, for some random dating coach, helping him start some random fucking podcast. That's crazy how it all happens. Cause it's like, I, I remember James hitting me up and I was just like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, let, yeah. let's talk. And then he, we talked and then within a week or so yeah. I was already out here. Yeah. And when you moved out here, I was really surprised because I was like, okay, I want someone who's here in town. I'm talking to you on the phone. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's in Arizona, right? You're like, yeah, I'm down. I'm like, okay, how soon would you be able to come out here? And you're like, I don't know. I was kind of hoping to be out there by Tuesday. I'm like, bro, it's Sunday. You're going to be here Tuesday. (laughs) And he was here on Tuesday, right? So man takes action. Yeah. But most people would never even be willing to take that risk. Like, what was it about this experience that you were like, not even just raw dating advice, but like. How were you able to front the risk so much when mo- so many people wouldn't do the same thing? Because I I didn't want to live like most people. Mm. It was as simple as that. Like, 
there, there's something that I told myself, like, I do want to live, go back to my hometown when I'm older, mm. but that is because I want to buy land and build my own ranch out there and be one of the top, you know, 1% in that town. Mm. That's, that's the kind of way I see it. And it's like, I know if I stay there, I, I'm really constricted because there's only, I could either work in Amazon or uh, work a warehouse or just become a teacher because there's not much, much job opportunity out there. So I'm like, I, I definitely can't grow out here. Yeah, I just need I just need something to move, you know, mm. I need to make something happen. Yeah. Oh, you know how we were talking about Elon Musk earlier? And like I told you, mentioned the momentum that the space travel is going to get. It's it's crazy because uh, his company, SpaceX, he applied uh, the company applied to offer high speed Internet service to Canadians. So it's going to be like straight from the satellite that he sends up there. It's going to be Internet and through the fiber optic cables and I just thought that was interesting is like that he's providing Internet to Canada. Yeah, because just looking at it from like a, a whole nother picture, like just from his vision and where he wants to get to. It's like he's being just using anything and everything to gain that capital so that he could push forward his his ultimate mission, which is put people on Mars. Yeah. So I just thought. So that was, is that actually Elon Musk's ultimate goal is just to be on Mars? That's his fucking from, that's his M.O. From what I understand. Yeah. That, that he just wants to get to Mars and just move that needle forward for humans. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Elon's doing a lot of fucking revolutionary things. He blows my mind, man, especially the whole Neuralink thing. I know we've talked about this before, but, man, how can someone like him have so much time to do all the things he does? He starts PayPal. He gets billions of dollars from that. SpaceX. He starts uh, Tesla. He's drilling holes and tunnels under under L.A. to improve um, transportation. He's providing Internet to an entire country through fiber optic, optics, like you said. He started a, something called the Boring Company where they created these Just fucking flamethrowers that everybody has. Yeah. How does one man do so much? That's a great question, dude. Imagine him coming on this podcast and you just ask him yourself. <laughs> That's the goal. Smoke some weed with him like Joe Rogan. Oh, uh, yeah. And they'll yeah. be all over the internet again. Yeah. I mean, I I almost wouldn't want to have Elon on my podcast just because I don't want to have the same guests as Joe. You know, I think I'm still trying to find my voice as a podcaster and being, what is this, nine episodes in, you know, we're well on our way. And I think as long as I can just be myself and have my own hot takes on things and, and really just talk about what really interests me. Yeah. That, that'll be there. But honestly, I don't even know what I would talk to With. Elon about, you know? Like, what would we even talk about? Like, can I even relate to someone like that? I'm pretty good at relating to people, but, like, I felt like even on when I was watching him on Joe's podcast, everything he was saying seemed just so unrelatable, you know? Like, but, man, I don't know. He's, he's kind of crazy. And one, one thing that scared me about Elon Musk and the way he was kind of talking is, mm -hmm. like, Joe made a comment, like, you know, if only we could see inside of Elon's mind for a little bit. And he goes, I don't think people would like that. <laughs> He's like, we're like, what? He goes, yeah, I don't know if people could handle having the thoughts that I have. The fuck are you saying, Elon? <laughs> like, That's crazy. And it, it's almost like he, you almost got to wonder, is does he know like secretive shit? Or I, I think it's because his brain just moves so fucking fast that he's just like constantly in a state of anxiety. I got to go. I got to do. I got to go. I got to do it. You know, I almost wonder if that's a curse more than a gift. That's true. I don't know. But relate. Talk, I know you mentioned Neuralink, dude. Honestly, when that first came out, I was 
I was I thought about this. I was like, would I get a Neuralink? And I was low key down. Why? Because I was like, in in my head, the way I, I rationalized it was, okay, this is gonna be the future. So might as well well Embrace be in the it. forefront. Yeah, I was just like, let's do it. <laughs> that's like that's like the people who had those fucking eight track players. If you're the first person to get an eight track player, who gives a fuck? Because <laughs> in 2020, does it even really fucking matter? That's true. I don't know. I think I'm so still skeptical of of any technology that has to incorporate into my fucking brain unless it's like to cure like Elon said, he's going to cure paralysis and things like that. But then he's talking about the grand vision is for this thing to eventually allow people to communicate telepathically for you to be able to look up things in an instant. And like I said on fucking Brian's episode, I just I don't want the ability. I don't want to have no control over what goes in my head. And he's getting a direct link to my fucking head. He can send a fucking signal to my head and affect my brain however he wants without asking me. You ever watch a uh, that that kind of reminds me of the the show from Black Mirror, the mm-hmm. episode Black Bear. Which one was that? So this lady, she like wakes up in a, a weird in just a house with a picture of her daughter, and then she doesn't remember anything. And then she starts to walk out, and she starts to get flashes of uh, of her daughter and her husband. And then all of a sudden, she like people with phones start coming up to her, recording her, and she's just like, "What the fuck is happening?" But then it turns out at the end of the episode, she actually the the her daughter was someone that her and her husband kidnapped and killed and burned in the fire. And ultimately, what they were doing, they were punishing her by reliving that moment and re, like messing with her memories to to make her think that that was her family. And people would just it was like she was a zoo animal essentially. Mm. And like they would create this whole like thing of like uh, a whole story of is this like where she was sitting in the cabin and there's like snow outside of the cabin and it's really all in her head? No, that's another that's another episode. But I uh, saw that one as well. Black Mirror fascinates me because on some degree, like again, that is the fucking slippery slope we're on here, you know. And I think uh, one of, the one that really fascinated me was uh, the striking vipers. Where did you see that episode? No, what what happened? Oh, bro, Striking Viper is gonna blow your mind. Striking Vipers was the episode, the first episode of the recent, the, the last season that's been on Netflix, um, where these two uh, bros essentially, um, they're in their thirties or whatever, they're friends, their wives are friends, etc. Um, but the video game is like virtual reality, and they put the little chip on the side of their head, and they, it zaps them into the game. And they're playing like one of those like Tekken or like Mortal is this Kombat. This when they games. have sex together. Yeah. So the guy chooses the avatar of the female, and the guy, the other guy, chooses the avatar of the male. And in the middle of their little fight, like fight Mortal Kombat, they start making out with each other in the game, and they feel what their character actually feels because he's he's actually having the sensations as if he's a woman. And then they start essentially like cheating on their wives with each other inside the game. And so when I'm in here working on my computer late at night and Kate's going to bed and she's like, you never come to bed with me in this reality. It's I'm not working on my computer. I'm having <laughs> sex with my friend in a, in virtual reality. Bro, just, oh man, that's funny. And bro, that's the slippery slope. Um, Dude, one of those episodes of Black Mirror, uh, I forget which one it was. It was the, I think it was the very last episode where it's like the museum where they have all the artifacts of the different things from the different episodes of Black Mirror. And it's like, um, 
it's kind of like breaking the third wall of like, hey, here's the Black Mirror show that you all know and love, and here's the museum with the artifacts. And then they show the backstory of some of these artifacts, and one of them is uh, this this girl, um, I believe, passed or she got hit by a car, and so they were able to put her ch- her consciousness into a chip. All right, talk about Elon Musk trying to get us all in the cloud, right? So they were able to put her consciousness in a chip. And then they offered the husband, who was with his wife when she got hit by the car, um, so the, her consciousness is here. And for her to live on, probably the best way to do it is we put the chip in your head and you guys can share your body. And so um, so then they, he, he agrees to it and they put his wife's consciousness into his head and so there she's able to kind of just talk in the background while he's going about his day and it was a fucking up his like his basically his life because now his wife is always talking in his fucking head and she's getting pissed whenever he hangs out with other women or tries to have sex with other women and so it gets to the point where he's able to turn her off so he can like hang out oh. with these women and then he'll ter- she'll, he'll turn her back on. And she's like, wait, what happened? Why'd you turn me off? And it's really like six years later. He's like, oh, yeah, sorry. I've had you off for a while. And then eventually they transfer the chip out of him because he's tired of having her. And they put her into a little teddy bear that can't move. All it can do is like she can has, have, a, have a button that has one response and another button that has a different response for the teddy bear. And that's it. And that fucking bear is just sitting there, just stuck there for all eternity. Dude, that would... That does not, that sounds like just, you're basically in limbo at that point without even being able to do anything just besides press the buttons. Yeah. Yo, so part of my moral dilemma with this when I was watching the show was, um, are, is that really them being in limbo? Because if you think about it, it's not like they transfer their, their consciousness, their being into the chip. They clone it. It's a copy. It's like if I copy and paste a video file from my hard drive onto my computer desktop, is it the same video file or is it just a video file that looks exactly the same as it? So is it really you or is it something that is a copy of you but it's not actually human? Mm. So does it – so like it's like what's real? <laughs> yeah. So it comes out to that question like what is real and what – and what you, is consciousness? What makes you, you? And I thought about this. Like, if you think about the afterlife, this also scares me. If you were to die today, right? Let's say there is an afterlife and your consciousness lives on. Well, think about what drives your personality on a day-to-day basis and what drives you to do the things you do on a day-to-day basis. And if you really think ba- down, think about it and boil it down to the core, what really ends up happening is you are responding to stimuli in your environment. I'm hungry, so I get up and go get food. I gotta go take a shit, so I go get up and go to the bathroom. I'm thirsty, and and then so you're talking about your motivations to go to the bathroom, your motivations to eat and survive. Well, when you're dead, or even reproduce, right? And I, I gotta have the right outfit. I gotta look good. I gotta have the right status on my social media, so that way women will be attracted to me. So I'll have the status. So I'll have the money, the materialistic things. If you're just pure energy and consciousness, after you die, you go into the afterlife. You're not even gonna be a recognizable version of Chris Perez because you're not gonna have any of the same motivations. No, no need to reproduce as a fucking person in the afterlife. No need to eat food, to go to the bathroom, to do any of the things that drive you on a day-to-day basis. So you got to wonder, huh, what part of me actually is the soul and what does the soul actually do, you know? And so if you're thinking about 
uh, that it kind of scares me because it's like, do I really live on in the afterlife? And do I even, am I even the same person? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what do you do? Yeah. Why, why, why do I start this podcast? I start this podcast to express myself creatively. So I don't feel like I'm, uh, on a, on a grind that I'm not looking forward to showing up to, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not looking forward to showing up to what I do on a day to day basis, but just a hypothetical example, right? The soul version of me who doesn't have a physical form probably wouldn't have the motivation to start a podcast and do the things that I do. Yeah. At that point, it's a whole different world. Yeah. And it's like, what do you, what is there to create? If you can't, yeah. you know, if everything's yeah. already there. Mm. And then that also brings up the moral dilemma on the flip side of the coin is what is consciousness? What if when you, co you copy a version of you to a chip, just like in the show Black Mirror, what if it actually is you? And it's not just a clone of you, because if you think about your brain right now, and what drives your motivation and your ability to feel tension in your stomach so you're hungry and you get up, right? All those things are just neural connections and neural pathways. But neural connections and neural pathways, we can quantify that. We can talk about the amount of neurons and where they're connected to, and where they start here and they go here and what's their function, right? Theoretically, we might be able to get to a point in the future where our microchips are just as advanced, if not more advanced and more complex than the human brain. We're nowhere close to that now, but if you think about the exponential growth curve of humanity, we could be there soon. So if we copied your exact neural pathway over to something that's more robust than biological organic matter, then maybe it actually is you. And because what if you are just a decision-making algorithm, which is your brain making decisions to survive and reproduce? Reincarnation. And then you just become a turtle. <laughs> what if you just come back as a turtle? If yeah. you if if reincarnation was real, Yo, what know? if maybe this is proof that reincarnation might be real? Maybe your consciousness, your soul, I'm getting super deep and metaphysical on this, right? But if your consciousness and your soul is really just uh, a state uh, of being and life, well, if your life gets projected into, you know, talk about reincarnation into a turtle like you said, well, that turtle is going to have the same motivations of a turtle because a turtle only has the ability to move this fast, eat these foods, do these things, right? So obviously your day-to-day -day motivations are gonna change versus when you're in a past life and you're a human or vice versa, maybe you're moving up, right? What if your personality, the way you think of yourself is really just dependent on the physical form that you have? Hmm. And then that goes back, it just reminds me of psychedelics where it's like everything's connected. Yeah. And you, it's like you and are I'm not all even one. high right now for y'all motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I don't know, man. My brain is just like trying to compute everything you just said. Yeah. yeah I, did I sound, how crazy did I sound on a scale of one to ten just there? You sounded uh, passionate. 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 Okay. That, that's that's what that it is, was. That is the only right answer to that question. Because <laughs> uh, I think, I personally think that sounded a little out there for someone who doesn't think as deeply as about some of these topics as me but hey man maybe some people got value out of that i know it blew my mind when i first thought about it like that yeah and i think it i think it's going to be a necessary conversation once you do have like chips like that and and you know like the, the world does move forward to a more technological like base you know mm. with ai these chips and stuff it's like yeah like when you get projected into into a reality where you don't have to eat okay are you even the same person anymore like, what if your whole identity is revolved around being a foodie? Then now you have to find a whole new identity and reinvent yourself. That's true. It, so it's just like a lot of questions to ask. And it's like, 
uh, like at what point does science like do you bring science and then also the spiritual aspect you know it's kind of together mm -hmm. to kind of explore and you know it's crazy about this conversation is like i said on with clark i struggle with spirituality i struggle with thinking in terms of high vibrational energies and even meditation is a thing that still feels weird to me even though I've done my fair share of it and I've done uh, and I even recommend it to certain people in certain situations. Um, even me, like the whole Eastern philosophy, it sounds great in theory, but a lot of times for me, it's it's hard to accept the theory as something that I would want to actually act through because a lot of it uh, is just like stuff that you can't tangibly do or take action with. It's like live through love, be grateful, have, you know, be become enlightened, you know, things like this. Um but I think there's definitely its place and time. So I'm still working on it, honestly. Yeah. And it's something I, I completely agree with you. Like uh, there is like, you know, like I, I studied Bob Proctor and, and worked with that. And that kind of left like a, I would say the one good thing that came out of that kind of experience was me just kind of realizing that, okay, there there's a difference between using buzzwords and stuff that sounds good towards some versus something that's actually tangible and that you could apply it to your life. Mm. Because I feel like a lot of people that are woke is it's not something that they are like that you could express tangibly. It's a lot of like, you know, th is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> woke, I would say I feel more woke than I was when I was on the mainstream society of like, hey, get this degree, go to this job, have these next 40 years be your life, you know, mm -hmm. Um I feel more woke than that because I've broken away from the mainstream and I've really had to grow up really fast, essentially. You know, you even experienced growing up really fast sooner than I did because it wasn't until I was 24 until I moved away from my, my hometown. But you moved here at 20, you know, 21. So I don't know, like even just having those experiences that most people don't going through, like I said, the midlife crisis in my 20s. Um, I feel like I, I start to see the way the world really works sooner rather than later. So I don't know if woke is necessarily like a bad thing. I think it's just understanding more what's what you should be prioritizing, what you shouldn't. Because when you when you are more woke, essentially, um, you kind of you, you you're able to pick and choose what's going to throw you off on your day. Like shit that I can't control used to piss me off all the time. And I used to stress out about it. Um, like if someone flips me off in traffic or if someone honks at me or if, you know, Trump said something that offended me or tw Kevin Hart tweeted something that offended me, like shit I can't control and shit that I, why, why should I even be the one to fucking worry about that in the first place, right? Used to bother me. But now that I've had to fend for myself, I've, I've experienced mass rejection from a group of people because I dropped out to do something that most people don't even like, which is dating coaching. Like most people find dating coaching repulsive or offensive like feminists who saw pickup artists posting clips online they found it very offensive right and there's and that's neither here nor there but it's like i've experienced nobody supporting what i was on and then having to figure it out for myself learning how to influence people learning how to market myself efficiently on the marketplace, learning that a lot of the things that I see on a day-to-day -day basis are actually just people trying to influence me to buy their programs and shit, um, and, and being able to see who has an ulterior motive to what they're doing, being able to read people, seeing if they're a value giver or a value taker, right? 
Am I more woke because I've had these experiences or do I just understand how things work better than I did before? Cause now I'm open to seeing, Hey, maybe there's a different way that things are going than I thought before. You know, I feel like most people are not willing to see that. Yeah. And like kind of changing the topic off here. Like I, I feel like something that I highly respect with raw dating advice is like my first kind of look into the dating scene. I realized like dating advice is very taboo in our yeah. culture. And I kind of see, uh, raw dating advice kind of breaking that mold with what, what what direction you're taking the company which which i'm excited for which i think is necessary because it's at the end of the day like you want to find someone and i feel like doing it the right way is only going to help so many people at the end of the day right like yeah i totally agree man like i don't know if it's necessarily that my goal is to make dating advice more mainstream um i think people as they kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, elevate their consciousness. They'll realize that dating advice is only taboo because they think it's taboo in their own head, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. Dating advice in itself is not taboo inherently, right? Dating advice is just telling you a more efficient way to be more likable in social situations. That's it. That's it. But people find offense to that because they think, oh, you're manipulating this person. Oh, you're learning how to get get them to do things against their will no that's called rape and dating advice is not rape and i think that's why it's taboo because people blur the lines between that uh. and just being a more likable person in social situations to where the opposite sex will actually like you now right um so i think just as people kind of elevate their consciousness a little bit more it'll become a little bit more mainstream and i think it's already happening honestly i think people are realizing in 2020 with all this shit that we've even talked about at the beginning of this podcast with all this shit that's going on right now they're starting to realize hey maybe we shouldn't worry so much about the fact that this person wants to learn how to get better at being attractive with to women mm -hmm. right and i even think about the same thing why is it taboo it's taboo because people think it's taboo and even when i'm when people ask me questions I'll be like, oh, cool, man. Y'all, that's a great question. I'll answer it in a fucking video in the future. And then I immediately lose respect for that person when they go, oh, can you make sure I, I don't get connected to that question at all? I don't want my name anywhere near that question. And it's like, bro, why? Who gives a fuck? What's wrong with it, you know? Who gives a fuck? You, you think this is going to ruin your life if you're fucking, if Mark A is associated with your testimonial or whatever? Like, and I think... This is just a, a symptom of people not having higher quality problems in their life, right? I, I said this on a coaching call the other day. My only goal in life is to have higher quality problems, right? When I was in small town Kansas, my problems consisted of, I don't know, name any mundane thing that I had no control over. Oh, this 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 show got canceled. I'm so pissed. Or this person flipped me off in traffic today. I'm so pissed. Now I'm like, how can I have higher quality problems to where I have a, a, a 1,000... Uh, seats for this huge summit that I'm putting on and 1200 people bought tickets. And now I'm like, how do I, how do I accommodate 200 extra people? That's a higher quality problem. Right. And I, the person who is able to improve themselves so much to where that's one of their problems. And that's the thing that they're worrying about today. The fire they're trying to put out. That's a lot higher quality of a life, in my opinion, than someone who's worried about, Oh fuck this person. This person talks shit about me behind my back. Yeah. Like when you, experience higher quality problems you become numb to the minute shit that doesn't actually matter and doesn't actually affect you moving the needle forward in your life and do you think that helped you build like that thick epidermis um what helped me 
the build the thick epidermis is is just having perspective on the situation, having confidence that I would rather I had to come to grips with the fact that this might happen before. Right. And so going into taking the risk of dropping out of dental school to become to starting dating advice business, that was a big risk. But before it happened, it wasn't like I was like, well, let me drop out of dental school and then let me figure out what I want to do. No, it was I'm in dental school, but I know that I have a lot of potential as a dating coach. I know I can do it. I know it's a proven industry. I know there's a lot of people who do do it. And if anybody's going to do it, why not me? And I, I told myself I would rather have tried it and failed than have not tried it and wondered what if. And so that was that was how I became okay with it. But even for me to go through that process of becoming okay with it, I had to go in and kind of just know, hey, this is probably the worst case scenario. Am I okay with that? And when once I was okay with the worst case, then it was like when it happened, all right, fuck it. I already expected this, you know? Yeah. So have you ever had an experience where you felt like it was a big risk? Did you kind of go through a similar thought process? Uh, I feel like a lot of it is through door-to-door sales. Like when just like people just like get mad at you for no reason. Mm. I feel like something that I had to pick up quick was just kind of like not let that phase me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think on the door-to-door sales aspect, um, you know, facing a lot of rejection also helps you get that thick skin. And, I, you know, even that risk getting the thick skin, it, I got the thick skin because I felt the mass rejection from everybody I knew in Arizona. You know what I'm saying? And all the people who wanted to talk shit about whatever it was, dating advice. Oh, he wants to be a dating coach. That's fucking weird or whatever. Um, and honestly, I don't even know what they said, but I know that they, were ser- they were saying it because people told me that people were saying stuff, but I was just, I turned a blind eye to it because I'm not going to worry about shit I can't control. Right. And, um, uh, that's why, like, even in my dating advice programs, one of the things I recommend is like, dudes, <laughs> guys go out. I want you to go out and get rejected nine times in the next three days, right? Most people get rejected nine times in their entire fucking life. Cause they don't take enough risk, but the only way you're going to actually improve and actually develop that thick skin is like facing the downside a lot, which is, you know, guys won't are afraid to approach a girl cause they're afraid to get rejected. Well, go out and get nine rejected nine times over the next three days. I guarantee you pretty soon you're going to get over the fear of rejection, right? And now for me to approach a girl is no big deal, literally. And I, I'm not saying that to just like fucking hype up my own ego or my own image. I've literally rejected. So I've felt rejection so much times in my life with women and with any anything else I've tried to where I'm like, it's just a part of the game. Kobe Bryant doesn't get afraid to shoot the basketball because he's going to miss the ball or miss the shot. He's missed so many shots that he's confident that he can make them because he's made enough shots because he's practiced so much and he's missed so much that he's learned how to actually make them more often than he misses. Um, RIP Kobe Bryant. But it's the same type of mentality. Just because I've missed in the past doesn't mean I'm going to not take this shot. Right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's an old, old adage. But it's like you're going to be afraid of taking shots all day if you've never taken a shot. You know, so take more shots. Exactly. And that's that's honestly one of the reasons with that type of line of thinking, that's why I did say door to door. Because I, I, at that time, I was scared of rejection. And I was like, what's the best way to overcome this? Just get rejected. Yeah. So I just went and did it. You fucking crushed it, bro. And here yeah. you are <laughs> on yeah. the world's number one, fastest growing, most mind bending podcast in the world. <laughs> if you're not subscribed to already, be sure to subscribe.
be sure to download if you're listening on spotify yeah. apple leave a review do all Hit that, that follow stuff. button whatever you got to do do what you got to do anyways i think that's good for the day we should cut it here yeah um all right guys we'll see you in the next podcast peace out peace